Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast with our Ask the Expert series, a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. And in today's episode, I'm being joined by Jeremy Hendy, who's the CEO at Scurio. So Jeremy, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on today. Thanks a lot, Max. Happy to join. Looking forward to having a discussion today. But before we get into today's topic matter, would you mind just giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself? Sure. So my name is Jeremy Hendy. I'm CEO at Scurio and we're a digital risk protection company. So um, we're kind of on the edges of cybersecurity. And what we do is look outside the perimeter for people's data or threats to their uh, to their business or organization. So we're, we're a cybersecurity software company based here in the UK, uh, headquartered in Northern Ireland. Excellent stuff. And in today's subject matter, it's it's an area we've kind of touched on in other discussions, but we've never dedicated a whole discussion to it. And I think it's a very important area for people to be aware of, especially when people are kind of at home or they're clicking on links or being sent a lot of information uh, through services. It's important to recognize issues that come up. So we're going to be talking about typo squatting and the impact of fake domains. So I wanted to start by just clarifying a couple of things because many people are going to be familiar with the term cyber squatting. So could you give us an overview of what typo squatting is? Sure. And I think, you know, cyber squatting has been around since the turn of the century, really, that, you know, that mm-hmm. was really all about people speculatively registering domain names for profit so um, they could then go and sell them to to the brand owners um, so they would go and register you know a, a brand name in their particular country or really try and make money out of the domain name registrations themselves um, typo squatting has been much more common in the last few years and it's it's far more malicious it's people who are trying to impersonate your business so Cyber criminals trying to either defraud you or your your customers by capitalizing on on typing mistakes that people make if they're typing in your domain, or they're trying to come up with a domain name that looks very similar to yours, so that if you see it in a link or a phishing email, you're likely to think it's the genuine site. And one of the things that's made that a lot more prevalent in the last few years is you can now registered domain names using international characters and even emojis. Uh, So you have access to a much richer character set for domain names. So you can get a Cyrillic character that would look very similar to a normal normal ASCII character. Uh, So, you know, although it might look like scurio.com when it's in your browser, it turns out it could be the R could be a different R, the N could not, you know, not be a, not be an N. Um, So, it, it, it's uh, it's much harder these days, and particularly since people are accessing uh, sites on mobile devices where the screen is very small, it's really mm-hmm. hard to spot the difference between characters that, that are very subtle. Yeah, I couldn't agree more in terms of how people have kind of come about with coming up with these ideas. Because as you say, it's so much more dangerous than what cyber squatting used to be, the, the typo squatting, unless you're really paying attention, because how often do people, when they're entering things into a web browser do actually proofread or check the the things that they're doing so it, it's it's very easy as well just to click on links to look like something that you would normally be doing so it, it's definitely something to, to be aware of and 
I wanted to talk about the impact that this is going to have on organizations and how they can kind of combat this. So when we're talking about impact, what kind of things can typo squatting and fake domains actually have on a business, especially if we focus on those SMEs who are more susceptible to cyber attack? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, the number one problem for all businesses today in terms of, and in terms of the damage that's being done through through cybercrime is, is down to business email compromise. It's being able to get mm-hmm. into someone's email system to commit fraud or to exfiltrate data. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stats say that all starts with phishing emails. And so particularly if it's phishing emails that that are targeting your staff, if somebody's pretending to be your finance director or your CEO or, or your, your PA, you know, and they are sending you a link that looks like it's to your site or, or they're sending you an email from a domain that at first glance looks like it's your own domain, that can have massive impact. So, you know, business email compromise, uh, ransomware is, is happening generally as a result of people getting access to people to, to corporate emails. There's also softer damage. You know, people can set up fake or malicious websites that are designed to damage your reputation. But, uh, you know, good example at the other end of the scale is the British Airways uh, hack in 2018, where almost half a million customer details got exfiltrated in terms, including credit card details, was was a, effectively a skimming attack on the on the BA website but the way the bad actors had done that is they'd registered a typo squatted domain called baways.com and they'd embedded that in their code with the hope that you know if if anybody at BA spotted that this suspicious code had, had some code had changed on their website if they were just you know skimming through the the javascript looking for anything that looks suspicious if they see something that looks like it might be one of their own domains particularly a large organization like british airways that's probably got hundreds of domains registered it's really hard to tell is that genuine or isn't it so i think it can be used to fish staff it can be used to fish customers it can be used to impact reputation and revenue uh, and can also be used as a vector to get access to you know what's really valuable which is customer data or you know in some cases money right yeah exactly especially with the the ba example you get it was it was very straightforward for them to kind of skim it and as you say it's it's like looking for a needle in a haystack when you've got that much script and trying to find something that is very similar so the next logical question then is how can companies really identify fraudulent domains yeah, I mean, that's that's a really hard thing to do because a lot of domain registrations, you know, particularly if they're using something like a, an international character substitution, it's really hard to spot. So you need to you need to be using kind of specialist services that are doing effectively a fuzzy match to monitor things that are close to your, your domain. But th- there are lots of different variants you need to be looking for. So it's not just substitu- substituting a character that looks a bit like a like one letter for another letter. It could also be that as simple as um, things like www.scurio.com where you're you're registering that whole string, including the www on the hope that a few people will mistype the dot and get to your site in, instead. So there's lots of different variants you might want to look for. Uh, and so really you're, you're looking to, to do some kind of specialist service um, to be continuously monitoring new domains one of the challenges uh, people have people are facing now is that the cyber criminals have, have figured out that it is possible to monitor for new domains on a, a daily basis generally so you know new domain registrations tend to get released and accessible every 24 hours so sometimes you know these domains will be weaponized and used for a phishing attack 
within a few hours or even a few minutes um, uh, of being weaponized. So that's, you know, that's a pretty tough one to spot. But the other thing we see a lot of is these domains will get registered um, some weeks or months ahead of an attack. And whilst the first domain name registration event may not indicate anything malicious, so it may, it may just be a, a parking page at the, uh, the registrar, or it may be a very generic-looking site. So we've seen sites set up on behalf of our banking customers that have just had you know, stock images of, of, that look like they're a clothing company. Um, but then one day, one morning, they'll suddenly put up a fake copy of the bank's website because they're launching a phishing campaign. So mm-hmm. it's not not only just looking for those first registrations, but also anything that looks like it might be suspicious. You want to be monitoring that on a regular basis and getting alerts on any any changes to the content or the DNS records. So you know, if suddenly a mail server has been connected to that domain. There's quite a high chance that um, it's going to be used for a, for a phishing attack. So yeah, combination of um, you know automated detection and monitoring for new domain registrations, and then you know proactive automated monitoring of uh, candidate suspicious domains just to just to really you know catch anything that that changes that could become a threat to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very important to kind of have those monitoring software in place. And I'm hoping people who are listening to this, uh, whether it's from a CISO perspective, board level, or even just uh, employee level, uh, is a pricking up to kind of how easy this is to do in terms of the dangers that are present. So we've identified, obviously, what you know how they can kind of identify it. But what steps can companies take with these fraudulent domains when they discover them? That's a really good question. It's definitely important to to monitor those new domain registrations because there's a chance they could be weaponized later on. So, you know, one step you can do, even if there's nothing malicious about that domain on the day it's registered, if, if it doesn't appear to be connected to a legitimate business or a legitimate website, then you want to be monitoring that on a regular basis for any changes to the website content, the DNS records, the mail service, just in case. So that's something you can definitely do. You know, at some point in time, so if the if the site is violating one of your trademarks, if it's taken uh, spoof material that is violating your copyright, so if they if they've put your logo up or they've taken images from your your company's website and and cloned them across onto their site then um, you know you have grounds for requesting that that site gets taken down by the hosting provider or ultimately the domain name registrar. So that's, again, where you probably want to engage some specialist help from um, companies that do this for a living in terms of getting those sites taken down. Because often you're reliant on putting a – you need to make a really well-reasoned request into, uh, for example, the website hosting company – as to why this site is contravening either their terms and conditions or, or relevant legislation like copyright infringement. And you really need to spell that out in a very, very well-written submission document because you're reliant on that level one service engineer who's re- receiving that request, uh, the hosting company or the domain name registrar. You're kind of relying on them to read what you've, what you've said and said, okay, this all looks like a very legitimate request. I'm going to press the button and get this taken down. Because, you know, one of the one of the challenges with hosting companies is they're obviously hosting, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of domains, even more than that. Uh, and so unless you make it a, a really well-justified case for getting that site taken down, 
it's hard to do hard to do that. Um, but even if you've been successful, unfortunately, it can be a bit of a game of whack-a-mole because if there's a bad actor that's determined to reuse that domain, they can go and find another hosting company. Uh, and so again, there's an element of once the site's been taken down, you need to be monitoring it, it after the event to, to check if it doesn't pop up again. There's also some specialist things you can do to try and track down the the people behind those websites. So there are you know several companies that will offer things like historic who is data and historic DNS records, where you can try and track down you know even even though the the domain name registrant may have chosen to register that domain anonymously, they might inadvertently have exposed something else. I mean people tend to be quite lazy when they're registering these domains. They'll use the same fake addresses in some cases. They'll use the same, you know, burner emails. Uh, and so uh, occasionally there's the opportunity to link that domain to other domains and then go back in time through some of these historical search services to get to a real street address for that person or a real contact information. Excellent. Yeah, there's very important steps there that can kind of make life a lot easier. And you, you mentioned something interest, interesting in there, obviously, about the hosting companies. And we've kind of been discussing what can companies do the responsibility that falls on them but at the end of the day you know the hosting company is, is there for that reason to host a website so what can they do themselves in order to mitigate the use of fraudulent domains or if is there anything really hard i mean very difficult for them to to know if a, if a new domain and a new site is being put up is you know does that infringe someone's trademark is this genuine content or is it fake and mm-hmm. um you know so, so it's really hard for them to do anything proactive i think at the at the time when that customer is coming along to them and giving the money to host a site and put that site up i think the main thing we'd say they they should all do is to have a process in place and a fairly clear process so that they can respond and engage quickly when some claims are, are made you know they need to make sure they've got a pretty good published policy that explains when it's appropriate to ask for a site to be taken down you know just someone's perfectly entitled to put up a website complaining about me or my company or, or my services because they don't like me. And just because I don't like it doesn't mean there's grounds for getting that site taken down. But if they're using my logo without permission or they've taken other you know, parts of my website, we've seen fake websites that have been set up where they've taken the, the management pictures and bios from one company that's completely unrelated and used it to set up a fake site for a completely different company. But if you can spot those images being reused and copyright being infringed, you've then got a, a very cast iron case for saying, please get this taken down. So I think it's all about process, really, and responding you know, quickly when, when people are complaining about a particular domain or, or site being taken down. And of course, you know, if there are repeat offenders on their side, if the customer keeps putting sites up and keeps getting takedown requests, then ultimately, you know, they, should be, they should be banning them from the site. Yeah, definitely. It's, it, it always comes down to, you know, whenever we're discussing anything security related, it, it's having those processes in place and following them. Um, because really, that's the only way you can, can stay on top of a lot of this. And it's it's definitely something that if you if you take your eye off it for a second, it can definitely sneak in. So it, it's good for companies to kind of be aware of this. And we've obviously spoken about what companies can do, the threats that they face, how hosting companies can help. But obviously, um the legal side of things is is important as well and i want to kind of wrap up the podcast here by talking about how obviously in the u.s there's the anti-cyber squatting consumer protection act and that helps to thwart both cyber and typo squatters but do legal policies exist elsewhere 
Well, not not really. I think you know, as far as we know, there is also the uh, UDRP, which is the the domain name dispute resolution policy, which goes alongside the ACPA. But that that is a global a global legislation, whereas ACPA is is only applicable in the US. So the UDRP is something that's more of an arbitration type mechanism, which can help you get the domain name back. But again, you got, you kind of have to prove that the person has has registered that domain name in bad faith uh, and is using it for for malicious purposes. So you know, really, you're back to relying on fairly old legislation like copyright infringement and trademark mm-hmm. infringement as your justification for getting a site taken down. Or, of course, you know, if a domain is being used for phishing attacks or the site is hosting malware that, again, is sort of fairly easy to, to prove and justify to the hosting company, that's generally very good grounds for, for, for getting it taken down. But, you know, unfortunately, even, even uh, an ACPA uh, lawsuit, if you look at some of the, the, the blogs and um, web, web articles that are out there from legal firms, you're looking at anywhere from $20,000 to a million dollars if you're trying to pursue one of those lawsuits to get the domain name taken down. So, you know, that's out of reach of a lot of organizations. So realistically, I think it's it's about just trying to hit the hosting company or the domain name registrar pretty hard with a really well well-formed justification that any commercially reasonable person would act on and say, yeah, okay, this does look dodgy. I see what you're saying. I'm going to take it down. Yeah, exactly. It comes down to those those steps again, doesn't it? And understanding where that risk is. But as you say, it's not always the easiest thing to do. So it's best to kind of be on top of it when you can. So Jeremy, all I can say is thank you for coming on to the podcast today and kind of engaging us and talking to us about this issue. Because I think it's something that a lot of organizations need to really start considering if they're not already. Yeah, thanks, Max. Um, you know, one thing I'd encourage you to do is there are some free tools out there. Uh, so there's one called DNS Twister. So if you just uh, search for that online, um, there's a free site where you can put in your domain name and it will check what kind of permutations are currently registered and which ones are available for registration. So I'd also encourage people to do that. You know, obviously, it's better to be doing something continuously and, and automatedly. But if you just want to run a quick test, then we'd certainly recommend that site as a good place to start. Perfect stuff. Well, thank you once again for for coming on here there, Jeremy. And thank you everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. We hope you did take a lot away. Uh, Obviously, use the recommendations that uh, Jeremy laid out there, but also you can head over to scurio.com for more fantastic information and resources. We'll be back next week with another episode in the Ask the Experts series. Until then, you can join the conversation at em360 on Twitter and LinkedIn. And of course, for more great daily content, please head on over to em360tech.com. Thank you.